0: Isaiah says to us, look what's coming. James says, be patient. (laughs) And John says from prison, I'm living in this tension. This isn't just a theological concept to me. I'm living between these times. And of course, if we stop to think about it, life has lots of stark contrasts. Sorrow and joy great vacations and the drudgery of work, abundant harvests, or dust bowls in which a farmer can barely eke out a living. And one of the goals of Advent is to help us with these dilemmas, to teach us to look forward in hope and peace and joy and love that one day it all comes true and then to let that future shape our today. But obviously, this isn't easy. I mean, even biblical characters struggled. Remember Elijah? Even after seeing fire come down at Mount Carmel wasn't enough for him, he still ran from Jezebel and asked God to take his life. David wanted things so badly to be in his own hands that he actually considered committing a revenge murder. Jeremiah was so self-loathing that he wished he had never been born. So the Advent invitation is to take into our heart that joy is not a starry-eyed, idealistic, wishful bit of thinking, but catch this, rather a clear-eyed, prophetic statement through which we find a kind of confident joy in the knowing that God's story will come to its conclusion. Well, if we dig just a bit deeper in our readings this morning, the context of Matthew 11 is that people then didn't understand Jesus. The way he was doing Messiah, the way he was being Messiah, didn't match their long-standing imaginations. It didn't match, for instance, their judgment of sinners, both who sinners were and how to treat them. And it certainly had never touched their idea of how to treat enemies. And this is why Jesus frequently said things like, Who do people say that I am? Or, Who do you say that I am? And for John, so now picture us living in one of these genuine human tensions, not rhetoric. Think of the tension in your own life right now where something isn't as you know it ought to be. That could be a crisis in the world. It could be a crisis in your family. It could be a medical condition. Just think about it. And then hear John saying, if you're not the one who was to come, then who am I? Just sorry for the big word on a Sunday morning, but just think of that existential crisis. <laughs> think of that deeply personal crisis. If you're not the one who was to come, well, then who am I? And just picture him sitting in prison with that very personal thought, perhaps wondering, hey, Herod's power is growing and winning today. day. That is to say, the forces of evil, the the powers of this world that are aligned against goodness is winning the day. Maybe John was wondering, maybe I'm chaff and not wheat. Maybe I'm a goat and not sheep. Who am I? How do I understand myself living in this tension where there are the realities of today, but this prophetic hope that Israel had always hoped for, that someone would deliver her from her oppressives, right? The Babylonians, the Assyrians, that she would someday be delivered. And now, for us on the other side of cross and resurrection, waiting for the fulfillment of God's purposes, which were begun in Jesus, we have these same sorts of thoughts. Or think about our neighbors that aren't in this room this morning or in any other chapel or church for that reason. Imagine them. Honestly wondering, I I have to say I have genuine empathy with this for people who would wonder, is Jesus real? Should I bet my life on him? I mean, I have. I can say I've bet my life on him. I've bet my outlook. I've bet my worldview. I've bet the interpretation of my past. I've bet my sense of the present. And I am betting my future on it. But I get it that people wonder, should I really bet my life on Jesus' teachings and his way of being? Does Christmas really matter? Or are these birth narratives that we sing during Advent and Christmastide, are they just kind of Christmas carols that are just sort of quaint and old tales, but ultimately powerless against today's forces of evil? Well, that's a very John-like thought. So Jesus answers John's honest question, his honest confusion, his honest concern, by connecting his work, that is to say, Jesus was connecting his work in the world to the story that Isaiah was telling. And so when Jesus says, go tell John that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, this was an obvious illusion. Anybody who heard Jesus would have known that he was alluding to these sort of prophetic realities in Isaiah's word, that the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the death will be unstopped, the lame leap like deer, and the result is everlasting joy will crown their heads. This is why joy is so central to the Christian life. And as Isaiah puts it, gladness and joy will overtake them, sorrow and sighing will flee away. Okay, so let's just get real for a second. All of us in this room... And every human person has a choice to make. There either is a God or there isn't. And if the world has a one true creator Lord who initiated this story, then that means all the ups and downs of human history, once they come to their completion and all this comes true, then things will have meaning in a story. But if we're just a ball floating through a cosmos that's increasingly bigger than any of our best physicists could have ever understood, do you know it's only in the last months, just literally in the last months, that our best cosmologists have realized that that the cosmos is 10 to 100 times bigger than we even thought it was? Well, if we're just a mass of energy, whatever that is, floating through space, and we're just left to the powers. What hope is there in that? What ultimate peace could there be there? What source of joy that's in any way real? You know, the history of humanity is whoever has power subjugates those who don't. And this is not like, I know the 20th century was the bloodiest century we've ever had, but this is not a 20th century f- phenomenon. This is not just about the mechanized aspects of war, you know, beginning with World War I and World War II and now even technological warfare. We tend to think of it that way as if war is somehow a modern phenomenon, but the subjugation of peoples is not at all a modern phenomenon. The first people who had, pow- who had fire realized they could burn down a local village if they were ticked off enough. The wheel allowed you to get rocks closer to somebody to stone them. The first people who mastered agriculture and who, who, were, who, who could then stop being hunter-gatherers. Can you picture that? Picture a hunter-gatherer tribe who their whole life is just devoted to finding enough berries maybe a rabbit to feed their family. Well, if the next door neighbors had actually an agrarian society in which they could produce crops and therefore have a more stable society, well, even food caused people to subjugate others. We have a choice to make. There is actually a real story going on that the facts of the future and its beginning intention of God will someday make these convergent facts that make us wonder why am I in prison when Herod's winning? Why is there a church or a sense of God when the world seems to be out of control with evil and, and anybody who gets power subjugating someone else? When was the last time you saw a headline in the New York Times where someone acquired power for the good of others? Where somebody suddenly had great power and there was great affect in the world because of it. It happens, not often, it happens, but it doesn't show up in our headlines. Why? It doesn't fit the narrative. People know that what you do with power is bully others with it. You don't serve them or love them or become a source of joy or peace or hope. This is the tension of Advent. It's unavoidable. We can't sugarcoat it. And it's always been the tension. Whether you were John in prison Saying something like, Well, that's a lovely thought, Todd. How great that Isaiah prophesied that this is what it looks like when God has his way, the miserable and the desolate learn that God is on their side. That is actually a lovely bit of theology. But I can just hear picture John going, Well, lovely. Good for them. But you may notice, Jesus, that I, the greatest ever born of a woman, I'm living in the the theological and real tension of still being in prison. Why aren't you confronting Herod? Jesus, if you're such a big shot, why aren't you confronting Herod on my behalf? Why is he winning? Come on, this is not rocket scientists, rocket science. Jesus said John was the greatest man ever born of a woman, and he languished in prison under an Advent tension. I can just hear him wondering, geez, Jesus, you're piling around with sinners and tax collectors, extending them mercy. I'm your cousin for crying out loud. Get me out of prison. Let me come work with you. Right? This is the honest tension. And we might think, well, how could John ask this? I mean, he saw biblical prophecy fulfilled right before his eyes. He witnesses Jesus' baptism. He heard the Father speak from heaven. How can he be confused? Well, this is again where we have to keep it real because as powerful as those things are, they're external to us. What John was dealing with was something internal to him where somehow the way that Jesus was acting or failing to act was counter to John's expectations. Thus, what was controlling John's actual thinking about God was not external revelation, but internal expectations. And so it appears that something like this was happening, that even the one who prepared the way was having to learn to follow. And the one who preceded Jesus was having to now receive him as he actually is. Well, this is why James comes along and tries to help our confusions by saying, be patient then until the Lord's coming. But, of course, that's difficult, and we choose other paths occasionally. Eugene Peterson has written somewhere that he says, the common strategies for achieving joy are surface only. A change of scenery, eliminate the things that hurt us, get rid of the pain by numbing the nerve endings, Get rid of the insecurity by eliminating risks. Get rid of disappointment by depersonalizing relationships. Then try to lighten the boredom of such a life by buying joy in the form of consumerism or entertainment. James, on the other hand, is wanting to say, no, there's a better path. There's a path to a genuine heart strength, to faith and hope and love in the face of evil and indifference or even oppression. And so we might ask, well, what is that, James? And he says, it's patience. Well, that word patience here means really waiting. Waiting when you're powerless to change the circumstances. Again, picture John in prison. Waiting when you're powerless to change the circumstances or to hurry a delay away. And then James just gives us two easy examples. He says, think of the farmer who has to wait for there to be enough rain in the soil enough water in the soil that it's you know, workable enough that you can plant a seed and then you need some later rains to keep it going but the farmer just patiently trusts the rain to do its slow but sure work or James says think of the prophets of old the people who saw what was really real and take them on as your mentors right who lived in more tension than a biblical prophet right they actually saw god and god's will prophesied to the people that it would come but lived in the terrible tension of what was real in like a material social sense and what was real in a more real sense of what god was up to and so james says consider them take them on as your mentors you know they put up with anything went through everything and never once quit all the time honoring God well I want to conclude this morning by first thanking Dennis for sending me a, a wonderful quote from Jacques Ellul in his book The Presence of the Kingdom and here I think little really helps us kind of land this plane as a, a way of thinking about how do we actually live in this tension so Ellul says to be this sort of a prophetic revolutionary is to judge the world by its present state. And judge here means, doesn't like mean be judgmental. It means to consider it as it actually is. Seeing it in its present state, but to judge it in the name of a truth which which does not yet exist, but which is coming. It means to understand the present in the light of the future. Well, again, you might say, okay, you know, I mean, a little is high sounding and that's kind of high sounding stuff. You know, what could that mean? Well, a commentator I read this week told the story of a woman who despite having an incredibly hard life and virtually no resources except for her stamina, the strength of her faith, she raised six really great children, sent them all to college. Asked by a friend how she did it, she said, I saw a new world coming. My present difficulties, though totally real, were not allowed to become determinative. I saw a different world coming and I lived in continuity with that. That one day it all comes true and that that future can shape today. For our quiet time this morning, I wanna invite you to bow your heads with me in prayer. And allow me to read for you the the prayer from our Book of Common Prayer for the third Sunday of Advent for this week of joy. And I'll just read it to you one time through and then another time just with some little pauses for you to do whatever heart work you need to do with God. The call for today says, stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us as a source of all our joy and satisfaction. And because we and the whole world are wounded by our sins against one another, let your bountiful grace and mercy help heal and deliver us, giving us the joy of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and spreading that joy through us to all the places of pain in the world. So now you let The Spirit have its voice in your heart and your head, and just maybe thought by thought here, as seems right and good to you, you pause with the Spirit and do your work. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us as the source of all our joy and satisfaction. And because we and the whole world are wounded by our sins against one another, let your bountiful grace and mercy help heal and deliver us. Giving to us the joy of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and spreading that joy through us to all the places of pain in the world. Amen.